Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back and please excuse my little hiatus. Although the short camping trip and the little free time I had to do a little yard work really made the missing show worth it. I have a splendid show lined up for you guys this evening. But before we get started, I have to share something strange with you guys. Things have been a little bit weird for us lately. For starters, electronic devices keep dying in my hands. Just today, the light in my workshop blew out. The ballast, not the bulb. And my laptop completely stopped working. Luckily, I was able to revive the laptop, but the jury's still out on the light. But it wasn't just yesterday. This has been happening for the past two or three months. The list of broken items is crazy. Our shipping center printer and desktop both died in the same week. We then used Sarah's older laptop, and it also died the next day. The lights and outlets in our bathroom upstairs stopped working the other day. It literally had to tear the wall apart, and never did find a reason, but they are now working again. The studio computer that I'm using now not only crashed and deleted all of my information, luckily I had a backup, but the Wi-Fi receiver also went out of it, causing me to actually have to hardwire using an Ethernet cable. It's even begun to happen to Sarah. Just the other night, she heard talking from another room. That's when she found her iPad FaceTiming all by itself with some strange elderly couple. She was not in the room to accept the call, and she did not know the people on the other end. I taught her well, though. She managed to catch a little bit of the event on video. Yeah, but look at my picture up in there. Look, right now. I know. My picture's in the box. Taking a picture. Sarah was kind enough to share the video, and you can find the video version of it in the show notes for tonight's episode. Over the past couple weeks, the following items have stopped working inexplicably. An orbital sander my iPad, the radio in the car, a year-old car, that, and even my cell phone. 
but I'll come back to that in a couple minutes. And even more weirdly, lately Sarah and I have been hearing strange crashing sounds coming from adjacent rooms. But when we go to investigate, we find nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing the cats have knocked over, and nothing that seemed to have fallen. The latest big crashing sound came from our game room, which was a mere 15 feet through an open doorway from where me, Sarah, and all three of our cats were sitting. Again, we found no source to the crashing sound. Now perhaps this next part is unrelated, but there's no denying that it's equally as bizarre. That broken cell phone. Well, it wouldn't stay connected to Wi-Fi, and worse yet, it gave me a SIM card error twice a day, rendering it completely useless until I restarted it. So last week, I was fed up and finally took it into the Apple shop. And despite them not finding a single issue through the diagnostics, they replaced the phone for free. So I take my shiny new phone home and move on with my life. But a few days later, I noticed an icon for an app that I don't recall having. The app was GarageBand. It's a fairly popular Apple app, so I just assumed that Apple included it in the most recent upgrade. And to be quite honest, I still don't know if that's the case. But I was playing around with it, and I started thinking of how I could use this as a tool to record promos or something like that for the show. So just playing around, I recorded my opening line. Good evening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Well, I started messing with the pitch and the key, and then found the button to play it backwards. Which, of course, would begin with the end of the catchphrase, My name. Derek Hayes. Except it didn't sound like my name. But eerily, it did sound like something else. This is a sample of my name. Derek Hayes. Now, here's the exact same sample played in reverse. What word do you hear? Clear as a bell. See it? For clarity, I'll repeat that three more times. I also slowed down and sped up the last two clips, respectively. Now to me, the word simply says, secret, which I thought was a bit, I guess, ironic. Now of course I don't think that all this is connected in any way, but I cannot deny the strange things that have been happening in the past couple months. And coincidentally, I've never been busier than I've been these past few months as well. So perhaps it's finally the stress catching up to me. And as I said in the opener, we have a great show lined up for you guys this evening. So let's get started with our first call. The following story comes to us from James in the state of California. Hi, this is James from California. Um, So this story is actually based from what my dad experienced quite some time ago when he was in college with his friends. At the time, he was living up in Oregon. And this is right on the beach because he lived uh, right along the coastline of Oregon. So apparently what happened is him and about six other friends were on the beach. They were looking out towards the ocean and they happened to sight 
what looked like, as he describes, a silver, silver ball bearing that was uh, floating out over the water um, a good couple hundred feet up in the air. And it did not make any sound whatsoever and just hovered there in that one place. They saw it move slowly to the right about a good hundred feet or so. And then it just paused. It did not still making no sound while it was doing this. And a couple moments later, it took off away from the beach up into the sky at what he describes as an am very an amazing rate. You, know, you couldn't end up seeing it anymore after a second or so because it just turned into this tiny little uh, blip as it moved away extremely quickly. The interesting thing about this was that he kept going over the story so many times throughout my life and I ended up seeing something like this on TV. It was caught on video on like a, a UFO special documentary and they caught a, a silver ball bearing on video. And clearly it was not um, the exact experience that he had, but the fact that what he saw and what the video showed was completely identical to each other. And so I, I found that to be very interesting. It was like, it was proof is that what my dad saw, it was caught on video. And this was many years later from what he actually told us. We ended up actually seeing this on video. So I, I found that to be uh, quite remarkable. So anyways, uh, that's the story I have about that. Bye. Thank you, James. Now these ball bearings surprisingly prevalent in UFO culture. Although perhaps one shines above the others for its remarkable abilities and the big screen worthy story that comes with the Betts Sphere. On May 26, 1974, the Betts family were looking at the damage caused by a brush fire across their land near Jacksonville, Florida. Then they found a strange sphere. It was just less than eight inches in diameter, made from metal and highly polished. The only mark on its surface was a triangular shape that had been stamped onto it. They immediately knew there was something strange about this 22-pound object, so they took it back home. From there, things got weird. A few weeks later, the son was strumming his guitar and the orb started to vibrate in a similar way to a tuning fork. It also started emitting a high-frequency noise that panicked the family's dog. Then they found that when they rolled it across the floor, the orb would stop and then roll in a different direction. Furthermore, it responded to the weather, becoming more active on sunny days than overcast ones. The family started hiding it away in a bag at night so it couldn't escape. Now that video comes to us courtesy of Origins Explained. Now of course, there are no reports of the Bet Sphere actually flying, so I'm not real sure that this coincides with what James' father saw that evening, but at the very least, we can use it to raise a few questions. And thank you again, James, for taking the time to share your story. For our next submission of the evening, we head to the land down under. The following is Luke's submission from Australia. Hi Derek, uh, this is Luke calling from Australia. You have a great podcast and I guess I've been inspired to share my story after listening to your podcast a couple of weeks ago where the three brothers shared their stories about sleep paralysis. 
Um, I guess myself in my teenage years, I mean, going back to early 90s, I remember suffering from sleep paralysis myself as a teenager in high school, I guess the stress of high school, that sort of thing brought it on. But I didn't know what it was until a few years later looking into it. But moving on from there, I would have been my early 20s. Um, I was staying at my girlfriend's house. Um, it's a brand new house, built on the edge of a golf course, nothing particularly interesting about the land or the house itself. Um, we had been and had a night out, and so came home pretty late, crushed out, both in a deep sleep. Now, being at a parent's house, we always slept with the door shut for privacy, <laughs> um, and I recall the room being quite a small room, double bed in the middle, lamp tables off to the side, and one of those block-out blinds across the window. Um, it must have been sort of early hours of the morning, still very dark. I just remember waking from a sleep and just feeling odd, feeling different, feeling a bit slightly panicked, I guess. You know, I'd, I'd had sleep paralysis before, as much as there was an element of discomfort with, OK, I can't move my body, crap, this is uncomfortable, this was something different. Now, looking towards the end of the bed, I'm sort of squinting my eyes and I'm looking and the room's dark. I mean, there is a little bit of light, which I guess would have been moonlight, coming through the, the edge of the blind or the um, the curtain into the room. So there was some definition in the room. It wasn't black, black where you couldn't see anything. But I remember seeing, I guess, what you could call the silhouette or a shadow in the shape of a triangle you know, more to the height and shape of a, to say, a six-foot-tall Christmas tree at the foot of the bed and on the corner which I was sleeping in. And I'm sort of looking at this, thinking, what am I seeing? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, am I seeing a shadow? It's, there's, am I, you know, I'm squinting my eyes trying to work out, am I seeing just a play of light? There's a shadow that looks darker than the rest of the room. It didn't have a three-dimensional form or anything it was just a darker patch of shadow didn't have sharp edges or anything it had you know the rounded off top and it was a bit wonky on the sides but as I was saying pretty much a Christmas tree shape but there was an element of fear and panic that I hadn't experienced before going with this and I literally couldn't move I'm lying there and the panic was crazy my heart was like pounding 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 my chest I'm thinking man there's someone standing at the end of the bed and I'm thinking this isn't good what do I do and but why am I frozen so I'm looking at the window looking at the light coming through trying to adjust my eyes looking at this thing nothing's changing I'm thinking maybe you know I've just woken up and my eyes will adjust but it's the same so I'm lying there you know pretty fearful <laughs> I'm going to admit that uh, my girlfriend she's fast asleep she's out you know we've had a big night out and you know, she's dead to the world. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to do something. I need to get the light on. But the the level of fear or the sleep paralysis, I don't know what it was, literally had me pinned to the bed, which I thought was unusual. So I remember back to when I used to suffer from sleep paralysis, think, okay, what did I do to actually move? I would, you know, to the count of three, try to wiggle a finger or wiggle a toe, and then from that little motion, I'd snap out of it. So I'm lying there, my heart's dump, 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 you know, wanting to punch a hole through my chest. This triangle's still there at the end of the bed, or this shape, the silhouette. 
uh, and the dark fueling. So I think, okay, on the counter three, I've got to move, I've got to get the light on. Now on the corner of the bed, you've got the bedside table with the old click button lamp. It wasn't a, a touch lamp that you could easily flick on. You had to reach up inside the lampshade and flick the light on. So I think this is going to be a bit of a challenge to get this on because if this dude or whatever is standing at their bed, you know, he's got all that time to, to make a move if I start shuffling. So, you know, I'm lying there and going through the motions, trying to get the movement back of my body. So finally I do. So I boot or absolutely, you know, kick the doona off the bed, flick it towards the end of the bed, hoping that, you know, this is enough to get in the way of whoever or whatever is there for me to do what I need to do, get the light on and give me half a chance. So, you know, I get my body moving and I heart's pounding, hold my breath and one, two, three, kick, kick the blanket off flick my arm out to hit the lamp, just about knock it over, get the light on, light comes on, there's nothing there. And my girlfriend kind of grumbles, rolls over, looks at me like, what the are you doing? <laughs> and I felt pretty stupid at that point, but I'm thinking, no, I wasn't dreaming this, I wasn't imagining this, but you're still left wondering, what, what is it that I am seeing? Or am I, am, am I actually not seeing anything and just imagine it? But the story, I guess, is, or the experience has stuck with me because of the feeling of fear. It was, you know, it was a really heavy feeling that just ran through me, made my heart pound like nothing, had the adrenaline going through me. You know, I wasn't frozen in fear, but I couldn't move. It's, it's really hard to explain. But, um, yeah, um girlfriend you know obviously rolled over went back to bed and the next day I told her the story and she's got a bit of a funny look on her face and I can't really remember because it was a long time ago she mentioned there about something to do with the house or maybe the people that lived there before so whether it's some sort of energetic thing or I don't know I mean you know like I said I've had my sleep paralysis before but never seen anything or thought I'd seen anything and there was, to me, there was definitely something going on there. Um, I guess the only other thing I can add is that she was a lovely girl, but she was a complicated girl and she'd had a few issues come through her life growing up. So where there is something energetically drawn to that sort of person or situation. Um, and I guess the only reason I'm saying that now is in hindsight is because moving ahead... 20 years or so to where I am now I've got some more stories to share um, which are recent and a couple of shadow entities let's call them type experiences and again you know I'm in a, I'm in a great relationship with a fantastic girl but she does have some mental health issues and there's a lot going on with her and you know I guess you could put it all down to stress of being in those situations but there's certainly a, a different level of reality to these few experiences I have. Um, yeah, I'd love to share these other two. So I guess I'll end this story here and um, start a fresh one for the next experience. So thanks again. I hope you can use this story. Um, fantastic show you have. And yeah, I'll share my next couple of stories soon. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Luke. I can tell you, your story is downright terrifying, but not nearly as terrifying as the cat exorcism that's taking place behind you during the call. I'm sorry, it was just... It wasn't distracting, but once I pulled it out of the audio, it's all I could hear. Do you have a bird, maybe? 
um, torture victim, something. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, there is something about sleep. It's the time in our day where we're most uh, vulnerable. So when you awake to see something that shouldn't be there, can't be there, that feeling is primal, if you will. And I think each of us have probably awoke in the middle of the night to attack some sort of article of clothing that's hanging on a chair or the back of a door. I think it's probably happened to everyone at some point in their lives. So thank you, Luke, for taking the time to share your call. And if you could, jump on Facebook or something. Let us know what was happening in the background. That's a mystery that I need to get to the bottom of. In keeping with the scary, sleepy time theme, the following call comes to us from Chris in the state of Virginia. Hi, Derek. This is Chris from Northern Virginia. I've been binge listening to the show, and I just caught up, I think, to where you're currently at. So I wanted to call in and help the show keep going. Anyway, right now uh, I'm working in a warehouse next to the Manassas battlefield. I've never seen anything, but I always joked with my friends that our warehouse was haunted. Um, Again, I never saw anything. I'm calling mostly because earlier in season five, I think it was episode one, guy Jacob from Springfield, Missouri, said he had some sort of dream about a possession and his girlfriend was like moving strangely or whatever. I have a story I wasn't going to tell because I don't think it had really anything to do with paranormal, but it was sort of coincidental. I'm sure of it, but I thought it was kind of cool because I used to live out in Springfield, Missouri. I grew up there, lived there about 11 years, ever since pretty much kindergarten up till freshman year of high school. Anyway, the story is I was probably about sixth or seventh grade. This is like mid 90s. Nothing to lose with Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence had just come out on video. So we went up to Blockbuster and rented that. And uh, we also talked our parents into renting The Exorcist, which I'd never seen before. Uh, always heard about it. It just creeped me out. <clears throat> anyway, everyone was asleep. It was just me and my other friend who uh, were still awake. One of the guys who was asleep, like, you know, we're watching The Exorcist right now. And, um, you know, Linda Blair is starting to, like, turn or whatever. One of the guys who's asleep, like, sits up and all of a sudden, like, starts moving really weird. You know, we're looking at him. He's just looking at us, like, completely blank. And all of a sudden, he, like, starts crawling over to the table and just scoops all the stuff that was on the table onto the floor and just makes this huge pile. And we're freaking out because, you know, we don't... <laughs> we were already on edge because of the movie. We're, like, throwing dog toys and stuff at him, trying to, like, snap him out of it and yelling his name and everything. And he just looks up at us and says, I gotta get it all out of the way. And then just collapses down on the pile of stuff he just put down. We were so freaked out, we just turned the movie off <laughs> and put on Nothing to Lose with Martin Lawrence. I mean, I I don't think he was acting. That kid, he, he, he couldn't even get the punchline to a joke right. I thought about it, and it turns out he, he ended up developing some sort of sleepwalking thing. So I, I'm sure he was sleepwalking. It, it was really just more of a coincidence. Um, but, I, you know, hearing that about um, Jacob over in Springfield, just made me think about growing up out there. I don't know, Springfield, Missouri, I used to I used to be terrified of, of storms and tornadoes. I think just growing up out there and always hearing those sirens, I was just an anxious, kind of scared kid. And uh, I was always thinking I was seeing something, but 
I think it really was more of a, I don't know, just an overactive imagination. Anyway, actually, there was one other thing I figured. It's it's pretty minor, but it's the only thing I ever saw that I can never really explain. And I haven't heard anyone say anything like this when, when I've been listening to the show, but I kind of wanted to mention it just to see if you know anyone else had uh, seen anything like this. But it hasn't happened in the past decade, but uh, when I was a kid and teenager, I used to see like a drip, like the ceiling was dripping, like right in front of me just once, like just movement, like like almost like water had just dripped right in front of me. And I always like check to see if, you know, if, if was, was there a real leak or is anything on the floor or whatever. I never actually saw anything after that. And it happened probably maybe once every six months or once every year. I mean, it stood out to me just because it was so weird. But that happened when I lived over in Missouri and then when I lived in Maryland. You know, I was always wide awake. It wasn't like when I was sleeping or anything. It's usually like I was either at school or over at work or something, but it hasn't happened in the past 10 years, so who knows? Thank you, Chris. Certainly sounds like the behavior of someone that's sleepwalking. I've heard of people doing some pretty crazy things, even leaving the house, wandering the yard. So to think that someone could awake after watching a scary movie and unload a table wouldn't be that far-fetched. And as far as the water's concerned, I know I spoke about this maybe in season five, but there is the rain man of Pennsylvania, Don Decker, who apparently could make it rain anywhere he wanted at certain times of his life. If you're interested in hearing more about that, I suggest looking up Don Decker, uh, rain man. Thank you again, Chris, for taking the time to share your story. Now, before I move on to the last couple calls of the evening... I need to hit up a couple of these announcements. It's probably been about 30 minutes since I recorded the opening where I talked about the story of things not working. Well, in that 30 minutes, I've managed to completely lose Wi-Fi and completely lose hardwire internet. I guess our router maybe is going dead. I don't know what's going on with that. The phone seems to be fine. So I reset that and we're back rolling. And in the meantime, my uh, Focusrite recorder basically the piece of equipment that goes between the computer and the microphone completely stopped working stopped lighting up and everything i reset the entire system and it seems to be back for the meantime but i don't know what's going on but it needs to stop whether it's gremlins ghosts coincidence i don't know but i'm running out of money to fix this stuff so anybody have any suggestions enough with all that it's weird to even think about Let's move on with these announcements. If you have a story to share, head up the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can shoot me an email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can submit anonymously through the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Be sure to join the Facebook group and follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. We're really stepping up our game in all three venues trying to bring in as many new listeners as possible. you got to remember, with each new listener comes one new story. So that's the only way we're going to keep this show rolling. And speaking of keeping the show rolling, hit up the shop tab at the website for t-shirts, stickers, hats, uh, you name it, it's in there. And we're working on some new items. I have a surprise in store here the next couple weeks, and that t-shirt that I've been teasing will finally be released at some point in April. So that's Monsters Among Us podcast 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com and click on the shop tab. And the last thing I'd like to bring up is we're still looking for ratings and reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever that thing's called these days. A five-star rating and a quick review of why you like the show goes a long way to make sure that other people find the show. And I don't have to tell you why that's important. And while we're on the topic of reviews, I received one the other day that really disappointed me. You see, we received a one-star review, apparently because I don't read enough stories. Now I'll be 100% honest with you, whoever submitted the review. That is the absolute worst way to request that I do something for the show. Because here's what actually took place. The show had had a five-star rating from the get-go. Three full years. There's a lot of big shows. There's a lot of really good shows that do not have a five-star rating. So I was pretty proud of these five stars. Now, because of this random one-star review with little to no substance and certainly no constructive criticism, we are now dipped to a 4.5. I know. It's tragical. So let me just leave it at this. I have no problem with constructive criticism. In fact, I thrive off of it. And I'm certainly not sure how anyone would think that leaving that kind of review would result in what they wanted. So maybe some of you diehard listeners out there that haven't yet left a five-star review can maybe drop a couple for me. See if we can't override this negative mark. And enough about all that stuff. Let's move on to our last couple calls of the evening. Our next call of the evening involves a bit of a famous ghost story. But more on that after the call. The following is Adam's story from the state of Florida. Hey, Dylan. This is Adam from Florida calling again. I just thought of a good one for the show. Uh, This one's about a voodoo doll I think we all have heard of it the doll Robert the doll which resides in uh, Key West in an old fort museum Um, the story happened about 2012 summertime me and two other friends we like to go to Key West every year so we decided to go and my buddy bought a new camera from Home Depot. It was one of those Ryobi, uh, Ryobi digital cameras. They're pretty cheap. And uh, <clears throat> he got that. We went down there. We were there for about five days. Our last day, I, I told them, we should go see this. You know, we should go see Robert. You know, those two are skeptics. They don't believe in anything. And we're like, oh, okay. So we uh, we went to the little museum. It's on the east side of the island. And we walked in. And uh, there's a sign as soon as you walk in. It says, do not take pictures of Robert the doll without asking permission. And I saw that and I was like, me? I believe, you know, anything's possible. I'm like, oh, well, I'm definitely not doing that without asking permission. And, of course, my two other friends are kind of giggling about it. Like, oh, that's so stupid. I'm like, oh, 
I remember telling them, you know, you should uh, you should respect the stuff that we don't know about yet. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. So we walk through this museum, and we come up on Robert the doll. He's in a glassed-in case, sitting there with his legs crossed, leaning back on this little mini rocking chair. And Robert the doll, I don't know, I think he's 150-plus years old. And... Uh, sitting there with a smirk on his face and I'm standing there you know hey Robert good seeing you and uh, my two knucklehead friends walk right up and start snapping pics with his brand new Ryobi digital camera I was just like you guys have got no respect and they're just like it's all a bunch of crap I said alright meanwhile the wall next to Robert the Doll are hundreds of letters that the museum gets and actually puts up on the wall of people that had done that, did not ask permission, their camera, took pictures of, <clears throat> sorry, we didn't mean this, my life is in shambles now. I mean, hundreds of this same thing. Or my camera broke, my $1,000 canyon broke. Ah, and I was just like, you guys seeing this? And they're just, huh, it's all, it's all crap. Okay. So I went over to Robert. I said, please forgive them for their ignorance. And we, we left after an hour. And uh, we, we actually left from the museum for a six-hour drive north. And uh, <clears throat> we get home, and my buddy goes to look at his pictures. And he'd been using the camera for, you know, four days. And uh, there's, you know, over 100 pictures on this thing. He goes to turn it on and go through his pictures. And there is not one picture that you could see. They're all there, but they're either super blurry or it's just a white-out picture. Hundreds of them. Now, he's seen these pictures. You know, when you take a picture and you look, and you're okay, that one sucks, and you get rid of it, <clears throat> or you keep it. He had seen them. He'd had all those pictures throughout the four days we were there. But when he got home, nothing there. So Robert the doll and all the mystery around him well, I can I can honestly say that there is something with that doll. Uh, so if you're going to see Robert the doll, just show him some respect, and I think you'll be okay. All right, love the show. Keep it up. Continue listening. Wish you were doing these once a week or once every day. <laughs> Take it easy. Thanks, Adam. Now, of course, Robert the Doll is most likely one of the most famous haunted dolls. Maybe not so much now that these new movies are coming out, but you ask anybody that's interested in the paranormal and they'll tell you. They'll tell you about Robert. Now, I suggest you do a simple YouTube search for Robert to kind of lay eyes on the guy. He certainly is creepy looking. In fact, I'll throw a couple links in the show notes for tonight's episode. And I've heard countless stories of people that have had encounters with Robert very similar to those of Adam and his friends. And speaking of Robert, 
And don't forget about the additional content found on Patreon.com. Simply go to Patreon and search for Monsters Among Us Podcast, and there you'll find our page. If you pledge $4 a month, you get access to not only all the back catalog of what I'm calling Monsters Among Us Beyond, but you'll also get future content. And each month I produce two additional shows. The first, which will be released early next week and feature a Robert the Doll story, is the Paranormal News of the Month. And then midway through the month, I actually release a deep dive episode where I take a past call and interview the witness or witnesses in hopes to get a better understanding of what took place that particular time. So if either of those interest you, visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast. And Adam, as much as I'd love to produce an episode each and every day, I'd have to be paid some big bucks to put in those kind of hours. Thanks again, Adam, for your story. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. And it's been a while since we've played a call featuring the big guy, Sasquatch. So to rectify that, the following call comes to us from Dan in the state of Oregon. Hello, Mr. Derek Hayes. My story is secondhand, but it is what made me believe, I suppose is the word, that there is something like Bigfoot, at least, out there. So, I have a friend, and this friend has a sister who has... First off, I guess my name is Dan Davis. I live in the Portland metro area. Oregon, Portland, Oregon. And there are, you know, lots of mountains, hiking, forests, stuff like that around here. And I won't be exact about where this location was because any person could directly go there. And if there is something such as Bigfoot out there, I don't want people to go out there and get themselves hurt or hurt something that they shouldn't. So anyway, um, this woman and her husband live very close to this mountain and used to hike miles through the woods from their house out to this lake and practically live there all summer long and hike back and forth. This is miles and miles through the woods, trackless land, right? But there are lots of hiking trails and, you know, people around, things like that. But they practically lived out there. They're both close to retirement age. They both still work, but had a lot of time to do such things. Anyway, they're very much not believers in anything, even conspiracy or uh, you can put information right in front of their face. And if it, if it would affect them socially or financially, they wouldn't even believe it if they knew it was true, at least not publicly. So they just didn't have minds like that, and they certainly are not storytellers. Anyway, uh, lots of outdoor experience, never said anything like this before. Uh, one night, we're at camp up there with them, because we did often during the summers at the time, years ago. And she's very acting very skittishly. Her husband tells her she should relate this to me and her sister, Um we're asking her what this is that she should be re- relating. She tells us that she's walking on the narrows of this lake. This, one, this lake has a large portion and a smaller portion. The upper, as they call it, smaller portion. Um, as you go into that, there's a narrows, a very rocky narrows, basically where the inlet comes in. And when the water is low, that's just a, just like a, a little creek or stream that runs into this reservoir that fills up, you know, over the season. Now, anyway. Um, there's like a, a shale kind of very rocky ledge with like uh, clumps, I guess, you would thick, little thickets of trees 
Um, but it's very rocky and open. You can walk out to this point um, where the narrows are going from the lower, larger portion of the lake to the upper, smaller portion of the lake, and it's just, you know, beautiful at dusk and sunrise, and people will walk out there. But because it's so rocky and steep, the trail that goes around the lake goes quite a ways away from this area, so you have to walk off the trail and walk kind of through and past these, you know, tufts of trees and whatnot, little thickets. She relates to us that she's walking, uh, and it's just about dusk, and she's getting close to where the, the lake is and where this little point is, as she's walking up to the point on the side of the lake that we camped on, the the smaller upper end would be to your left, and the larger lower end would be to your right. So she, as she's walking this way, I don't know which direction the sound or the, the thicket of trees came from, but she heard a what I now know is the classic uh, roar, very low guttural bone shaking all the way up to the high pitch scream and she felt like she was compelled to stop and make a 180 degree turn and go back directly the direction she came from and she said that she was halfway back to camp from there which is a decent ways I'm not exactly sure how far but more than 100 yards less than 500 maybe she said she was about halfway back to camp before she really realized what had just happened as I said, she was not this a storyteller sort of person, definitely never said anything like this, and just a down-home and tough-as-nails woman, right? Anyway, fast forward in a, a little bit of time, we go, she tells us about this, we go out the next day and we go to that area and we don't see anything, we don't find anything, we don't smell anything, um, nothing at all. And we had no reason to believe her but at the same time we definitely had no reason not to believe her right and she could kind of tell that I, I, I suppose so anyway it just passed on and for fast forward in my life a decent amount of time as in I don't know a couple of years maybe maybe a year and a half something like that um, I am in a different place in the country altogether I'm on a business trip I'm in um, an airport bar slash restaurant on a layover getting a beer and a, and a, some food or whatever, and I'm talking to another traveler, and we start having the regular general conversation, where are you from, what do you do, all that sort of stuff. And I tell him where I'm from, and he's like, oh, yeah, I used to go out there, and I can't remember exactly where he was from, but I want to say it was like, I don't know, kind of east-ish, Boston-ish sort of thing. He had an accent like that area, but I couldn't, I don't know, I'm not great at that sort of thing. Anyway, um... He tells me that he had a friend out here. He used to come out here canoeing regularly, blah, blah, blah. And um, I tell him, yeah, I, go out. I don't really canoe, but there are, you know, lakes and stuff that I go to out there. And he's, you know, like, yeah, where, where's that at? And I tell him and his the name of the place. And his face goes white, white as a ghost, like more scared than I've seen most people ever. I've seen people pretty scared and crazy situations but uh, he was really scared and he just starts telling me in the middle of this summertime packed middle of the day whatever you know even uh, early evening late afternoon uh, airport bar slash restaurant that he's this is this story of how he comes over and he goes to this exact lake they get in uh, him and his friend get in the lake 
um, in a canoe, and they're rowing across the lake from the lower big end into the upper smaller end. They're approaching the narrows at dusk, exact same time, basically, of day, exact same location. It would have been to their left as they're heading that way, and they hear the same sound. They're probably like 75, 100 yards maybe, um, maybe from that spot, that general location. could have been farther away if it was further up the hill or something. I don't know, but really close um, to the surface of the water from that location. They hear the same sound in the same location, and they have the same reaction. They turn around, and he said, we have never paddled any faster or put our stuff away any quicker. And he said that they were practically halfway down the mountain, or at least, you know, he said halfway down the mountain, but who knows? it was a long ways down the mountain, so who knows how far it was. But it was a long ways before they really realized, once again, what had just happened. And he said that it scared him so much that he's never been to Oregon again. So in order for that, for me, from my perspective, in order for that to be some sort of hoax or some sort of practical joke on me would be pretty much impossible. I have no idea how these people could have known each other or how, why or how they would have set up the money and the time to try to get me on that. And, try, and I've not even spoken to either one of them. I've never spoken to this man before. I don't know his name. I don't remember his name anyway. He told me, you know, but I can tell when he got done telling me the story, he kind of woke up, I suppose is the way of saying it. Like he was so enthralled in telling me the story, you know, and, getting it off his chest maybe and then he kind of looked around and nobody else was paying attention really they were everybody else was doing their own thing but i think he kind of it kind of set in like wow i just told a bigfoot story in the middle of public and why did i do this anyway yeah that's pretty much the completion of my story i have no idea how that could have happened if it wasn't real how could these two people that happened in my life completely as far as i know randomly tell me the same story about the same place i know it's secondhand i have experiences now that I know a lot more about it because I grew up in the woods that could be. I don't know how else to explain some of the experiences I've had, but I've never seen anything like that. I did an interview on Mysteries to Search with Brenton Sawn on YouTube, but I haven't really gotten back to telling the rest of the stories that I've experienced, which are a multitude of them. But you can deny certain things about yourself, you know, things that you experience and, and rationalize them. But this was definitely the thing that told me that whatever they are, it is, um, there's something going on that people that have no idea who each other are report exactly the same thing. And if you're there to witness them, the real terror, terror, is apparent in them, on them, oozing off of you can feel it in their presence. And I don't know what that is from, if that's just from the experience of of uh, witnessing or experiencing the unknown, I don't know. So anyway, once again, I'm sorry this has been so long, And but uh, if you find this worthy at some point in time, uh, I might call in again and, and relate some of my other stuff and i'm sorry if i you know plug somebody else's show on yours without your permission but uh yeah he's a great guy and i too and i appreciate everything all of you guys do thank you mr hayes and uh to everybody out there uh good luck with everything you experience and as for me i'm not going to disbelieve you thank you dan and of course we'd love to hear more As it turns out, I get a few emails here and there of people, listeners, like you, that kind of see your own logical explanation going on here. 
and I do my best to keep these things on file so that I can use them in certain situations when they apply to certain experiences. And just last month, Andrew W. actually emailed me with one of these suggestions, and I thought it was pretty pertinent for Dan's story here, so I'm going to go ahead and read what Andrew wrote. Hi. In regards to the caller who heard what he thought might be a bear in the first episode of Season 7, the sooty grouse, believe it or not, makes a deep hooting sound. It's especially deceptive because you can't see the grouse in the underbrush and are known to be deceptively hard to locate. Seattle is right in the middle of sooty grouse territory. Here is an example. Thanks for your time, Andrew. Well, thank you, Andrew, for writing that in. And here is that sample that Andrew included. Now, I believe Andrew is suggesting here that this may account for some of the whooping sounds heard, and not necessarily the screams or the knocks. And I can tell you, I can certainly see how a scared camper or excited Bigfoot hunter could mistaken the sooty grouse for a Sasquatch whoop. But you'd pretty much have to be in the field to make that determination. Now, of course, it's logical to say that all the creepy sounds we hear in the forest are accounted for. Either it'd be a fox, coyote, or our imagination. But there are still sounds being heard and recorded that have not been positively identified. Some coming from the Pacific Northwest, and even further, several from the state of Oregon. Like the following sound. That mysterious sound was recorded in the Klamath Mountains of Southern Oregon. Even if these sounds can be easily explained, it certainly doesn't change the fact that they are downright terrifying. Thank you again, Dan, for taking the time to share your story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Tony Bell, and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And music for this episode was provided by Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
thanks for sticking around. All this talk about Oregon reminded me of a recent trip I took there, maybe three or four years ago. We did some exploring around the Portland area, and I fell in love. It reminded me a bit of my southeast Ohio home, but it also had a bit of the California flair to it. It's kind of like the Goldilocks zone. So watch out, Portland. When I get old, you might find me up there. But with all this Oregon talk going on, it reminded me of a story that I read a few weeks ago. Kevin's story out of the state of Oregon. Hi, my name is Kevin and I've been listening to your podcast for about a week now. I would like to tell you my story of an experience that I'll never forget. The day the encounter took place was like any other. It was a slightly foggy December morning in 2016 with the sun burning off the fog slowly turning into a clear, sunny morning. The encounter took place in Forest Park, just north of Portland, Oregon, just a few yards from the infamous Witch's House. I was walking down the trail when I was approached by a man walking down the same trail, but from the opposite direction. He was a man, maybe in his early 30s or so. What stood out about him the most was his clothing, as it looked like it came right out of the 1950s. He asked if he could pet my dog. I agreed, and as he was doing so, he mentioned how he lost his dog in the war. I thanked him for his service and asked him where he was deployed. His answer shocked me. He said he served in the Marines in the Pacific Theater as a dog handler, and that is where he lost his dog, who died in the line of duty during a Japanese bombing attack. He continued to pet my dog, and then he tipped his hat and thanked me for allowing him to do so then continued on down the trail. I stood there thinking to myself about what had happened. I noticed on the ground was a pen, which I assumed was his. I'd guessed that the pen fell out of his pocket when he bent over to pet my dog. I quickly snatched the pen up, and as I turned around, I could still see the man down the trail. But, like the fog, he slowly faded away. I walked to where he just was, only to find out he wasn't there. Then I looked down in my hands, the pen was gone. At this point, I thought it all must be in my head, until I realized that my dog also acknowledged the man. He wagged his tail and licked the stranger's hand as he petted him. Now, I'm not sure if this was a ghost or maybe a time anomaly that we both seemed to have walked into. Nonetheless, the experience was shocking, and one that I'll never forget. Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great work. Kevin. Well, thank you, Kevin, for sharing that story. And the funny thing is, on my trip to Portland, the witch's house was one of my first stops. Despite the fact that it was gushing down rain, we had a pretty good time hiking around that area. And I can tell you, it did have a bit of a vibe to it. Although my vibe was more Goonies-esque and less paranormal. Thank you again, Kevin, for taking the time to share that story. And thank you, for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small to be our special guest. 
It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.